1 Timothy 2.11 Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason Podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, we are on episode three since returning. Uh, I just wanted to call out one quick thing, Brian, before we kick off that I listened back to our July 4th episode, and there was a little bit of crossover between my audio and the first clip that we shared, uh, Scott Klusendorf. Hopefully you were able to get through that crossover audio because beyond that, there was no more crossover audio, uh, but wanted to apologize to our listeners. First episode back, so not all that surprising that we had a little bit of a snafu on the editing process, but uh, appreciate you all continuing to listen beyond that point. So Brian, uh, we have a, an episode to discuss some difficult questions today and difficult topics. Uh, the topic that we're going to focus on here, we're going to talk about female pastors and what the Bible says about female pastors. And before I ask you the the first question on this topic, I just wanted to share with our listeners something that has come up recently within the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, specifically related to Saddleback Church, which is, which is in California. Uh, previously led by Rick Warren. I think Rick Warren had stepped down or, or retired not too long ago. But the Southern Baptist Convention uh, decided to uphold uh, a declaration that they had recently with regards to the Saddleback Church and them basically being, I'm going to quote the the article here, be deemed not in friendly cooperation with the convention on the basis that the church is a faith and practice that does not closely identify with the convention's adopted statement of faith, as demonstrated by the church having a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of pastor. So, Brian, just with that background on Saddleback Church, and I don't know if you want to go in any additional detail on that situation, but one of the things that we want to definitely dive into here today is what is the Bible's teachings as it relates to women pastor? Yeah, just I think uh, another maybe a little bit of more background on that. It's Rick Warren, obviously, he's a very popular Bible teacher, author. He uh, was the author of 40 Days or 40 Purposes of, of the Purpose Driven Life and um, this kind of thing. But uh, one of the things that is interesting is to watch the timeline kind of on this. Um, I think even in an interview with Rick Warren, with Russell Moore, Rick Warren talks about how that um, he really had this kind of epiphany or this moment where he changed in 2021. And all of this is in line with when he began to hand over the pastorate to um, another man. And uh, actually, his his wife is considered a co-pastor. 
So the Southern Baptist Convention, according to the Baptist Faith and Mission, that's kind of their confession of faith, speak against this. So they defellowshipped, I think is the way it's the technical word for it. They defellowshipped the Saddleback Church. And uh, this year, Rick Warren kind of uh, put together a appeal to not be removed from the Southern Baptist Convention and how this was wrong. He made a series of videos that became pretty popular. Anyway, the Southern Baptist Convention upheld it. The reason why I think it's a good topic for us to talk about is because it's not just something that's contained in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. It's a question that we're hearing in our churches uh, about what are the roles of men and women in the church? Um, can those roles be filled by both men and women? Is this a, some kind of you know holdover from a patriarchal period where uh, women were have been looked at as inferior? Um, they've been demeaned, at times belittled. Is this chauvinistic? What exactly do the scriptures teach? So I, I, I think the context is broader. I mean, if you go back uh, maybe 10 years, I think the popularity of teachers, women teachers, preachers like Beth Moore. I mean, it, when Christian bookstores, Ryan, were like the rage. There are not many of those anymore because you can get all your books from Amazon. But when those were the rage, when you go in those bookstores, I don't know if you remember this, but when you go in those bookstores, everything that was on the window, in the window for sale seemed to be by Beth Moore. Yeah. And uh, she came out with a letter basically to her brothers saying that she felt like this was, I think, in 2021 as well, saying that she had not been, she'd been mistreated. Um, she hadn't been used. Her gifts had not been used and embraced. She'd basically been stamped down. A couple Christian leaders, very popular Christian leaders with the Gospel Coalition, had a counter-response where they basically apologized, acknowledged that you know she had been mistreated and we really needed to reevaluate this. And I'm all for reevaluation. I think I think that's a, a a fair thing for us to do all the time. But when we start questioning the very clarity of Scripture, that's where we as Bible believers need to to beware. So. That's kind of the context of how this became an issue. And then when you throw in 2020, you throw in um, critical theory, you throw in intersectionality, and all of the cultural winds that are uh, um, blowing right now, this has become another topic where um, churches are considering, is, is this another form of oppression? Yeah, and you heard in the introduction, 1 Timothy 11 through 14, uh, just what the Bible says uh, in relation to female pastors specifically. Can you maybe get into a little bit of a, some of the additional areas where the Bible speaks to this topic? Because I know it's not just in that um, in that book. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when I try to speak to this um, with folks at church or other venues, opportunities to, to speak to it, I, I like to think of it in terms of Maybe it's because I preach all the time. I, I, I kind of alliterate in my mind, Ryan. So the first thing I think of is let's go back to creation. Let's go back to the very start and the beginning. There's so many doctrines that we see in those first 11 chapters of Genesis that are kind of like seed doctrines, and then they progress and blossom throughout the Bible. So all good theology, I think this is proper to say, starts in Genesis. And when we come to Genesis, we find out that God is the one who's, can I say it this way? His idea was different genders. His idea was to create humanity binary, create 
humanity in female and male, and both equally in his image. But he says in Genesis 1 that he made them, created them male and female. Now, that's a general flyover of the creation week. But then you come into Genesis 2 and he zooms in and he begins to describe that they were created differently. Adam was created out of the dust of the ground. And so he was really created outside of the Garden of Eden and then brought into the garden. And then Eve was created from the rib. Uh, a surgery was done while Adam was asleep. And so she was created out of man. So in one way, Adam was created outside the garden, brought into the garden to till the garden, to have dominion over it. And, and Eve was created out of Adam for Adam. Uh, so we see early on that these gender distinctions, gender roles, all of this is God's idea. Another thought that um, was brought to my attention recently, and you know, when you think about all of the things that have impacted the trajectory of our lives, I mean, mm -hmm. here we are, two of us talking, we're both male. <laughs> Can you think of any other aspect of our lives that have been impacted more just in terms of trajectory than our gender? I, I can't think of many. Such a huge element of who we are. There's no question. Right. So, so from our vocations to obviously our roles in our homes, our roles in our church, our roles in our job, um, the way we view what our job description is as a dad and as a husband. I mean, all that's impacted by gender, right? As a jar opener. <laughs> as a jar opener. Even, you know, and not to say that women can't be into sports as much as the man, but generally speaking, I mean, if we were two women running this podcast, our probably, um, you know, go-to warm-up would not be our favorite NFL teams. Um, this just impacts so much part of our life, right? Yep. One of the things, though, we see in, in that first C that I think of, you got to go back to creation. you got to ask this question. Maybe here, here's a better way to start. Is this idea of women not being pastors or women being pastors and having that role of elder in the church, overseer in the church, is that tied to culture that's changing, always changing, or is it tied to creation? If it's tied to creation, then we have to say, okay, this is cross-cultural, cross-generational. This is God's intention. So he, he created it this way. And even if the pertinent passages in the New Testament find their tethering to creation rather than culture, that helps us. Now, now, if it's just something that was a passing, uh, like, you know, for instance, when the apostles in their um, epistles sometimes saying, greet one another with a holy kiss, mm. we understand that there were some cultural dressings there. And if I, as one of the pastors at East Brandywine, began to say, hey, guys, let's re-implement as a prescriptive method the holy kiss on Sundays, I think I'd get some pushback. <laughs> I think so, too, yeah. <laughs> Because that can, that can be tied to a, a cultural time period in Middle Eastern culture, even in, in some Asian cultures, of, of greeting one another. Um, foot washing can, can be similarly tied to a time period. But this one is interesting when you talk about gender distinction and gender roles. It comes back to creation. And also what we would introduce as two basic Systems of thought. 
Ryan, you're pretty familiar with when you say that I'm a complementarian versus an egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Those are big words, but here's basically what they mean. The egalitarian approach is, is more modern. It kind of comes from the first, second waves of feminism. Egalitarian approach looks at genders as completely equal. There's no distinction. No distinction in roles, no distinction in job descriptions in the home, family, or any place. Everything is equal. And any type of distinction pushes against that egalitarian concept. Complementarian, which I think was coined by a committee, John Piper was on that committee. I think it's a helpful word. Sometimes it's it's been misused, but complementarian basically sees that there's equality in creation. We were both made in the image of God, both males and females. So it's not like the male was made any more in the image of God than the female. And we're obviously, according to First Peter, we're equal in terms of redemption. We were saved the same way. Not Men are not any closer to God through Christ than women. There's equality at the foot of the cross. But complementarity says that just like a lot of other aspects of creation, there's a complement in different roles, different job descriptions that actually bring a complement. They complete one another rather than compete with one another. I mean, you can just think about it. You think about the sun and its complementarity is what? The moon. Uh, In creation, we have complementarity of day and we have night. We have dry land and we have sea. So there's a complementarity in all of creation, and we see that with the male and female as well. So, so I would start there, and we can look at the other passages, but I think you got to ask the question, did this start at creation, or was this something that just in the changing cultures over the centuries, over the, over the millennia, that just kept changing, or was this something that God intended? Was it his idea And that's where we get into some real problems. If the roles are all cultural, then we can begin to say, well, gender, binary genders are also a cultural construct. And so that's where we get into the crazy of what we're seeing in our society right now about transgenderism and really trying to take away any of these, what they call cultural constructs of gender distinctions. And you see that the egalitarian approach with women's sports, right? With transgender men. I think that's right. I don't remember what, which is, which it yeah, is. It's but. difficult to say. I think if you say you're a transgender man, you're a biological woman who wants to be a man, oh, believes okay, you're sure. a man. I, and yes. I think if you're a transgender woman, you're a biological man, man thinking you're a woman, thinking you're, a, yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. So a transgender <laughs> woman that uh, is a biological man trying to play sports in female competition and the egalitarian approach says that there is no difference, that there is no difference in body type, in testosterone levels, even though there's clearly a difference there, but that that doesn't have an impact on the ability for a man to compete versus a woman. And all these sports that you see with biological men competing in women's sports are absolutely dominating. And so I think that's just a a direct example of how the egalitarian approach just loses every time. 
That's a great point. And, and again, does this come back to the original design of the creator? Or is this something I can just tie to, hey, this is what his life is like um, when you were living in the first century in a Rome-dominated world? Yep. Or can I say no? Th- this goes back to the original design on day six of the creation week. When God, in his creative, sovereign, creative plan, had distinctions of genders and distinctions of roles, and they were going to complement each other rather than compete with one another. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to take us down a, a completely different path. Let's get back to, to the the female pastor path. And, you know, I, I saw this in your sermon, I guess it was on Sunday, you brought back up the the pyramid of first, second, and third tier issues. Can we talk a little bit about where this falls in the the pyramid or the triangle? I, I think it falls as a second tier issue, but curious if, if you're in agreement there. Yeah, that that w- I made reference to that theological triage that I think was coined by Dr. Al Mohler, which I think is super helpful. First tier or first important issues have to do with the gospel. You got to agree about these fundamental issues laid out in places like 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, that say this is of first importance that Christ died for our sins, was buried according to the scriptures, rose the third day according to the scriptures. This is an early confession by all accounts. And so you have to believe these things first here. So we put in there um, again, Ryan, just as review for listeners that didn't hear us talk about this before. We put in that first tier issues things like um, the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of the Bible. We put in there the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, his um, deity, that he is God, that he was sinless. These kinds of things are not negotiable. We cannot agree to disagree about first tier issues. But I think you're exactly right to say that something along the lines of roles of men and women in the home and in the church, whether a woman could be a pastor, be on a pastoral team, preach a message, this would be a secondary issue. Now, secondary issues primarily deal with our distinctions that we see described rather than prescribed in terms of church governance. Most of these issues fall in line with church governance and baptism. But they also have to do with things like um, how the church operates and how we behave ourselves in the church. So that's where this idea of ordination of women for the office of elder or preaching sermons on Sundays, I believe it falls in that secondary category. But here's the thing, and I, and I don't want to try to elevate this issue to a first-tier issue. But I do believe there is a moment where this could push against a first-tier issue. I don't know if you remember, one time we talked about a good way for us to to see the scriptures is the SCAN method. I think that's an acronym or an acrostic. I always forget which one it is. But SCAN simply means this, that the Bible's sufficient. That's what the S stands for. C stands for clarity. We talk a lot about that on the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. It's yeah. clear. And, and then the A stands for authoritative, that the Bible is the final word. Um, it's not our culture. It's not our feelings. It's not our experience. It's what do the Scriptures say? And finally, the necessity, 
of the Bible. That's what the N stands for in that word scan. That we need the scriptures to speak to these issues. We don't want to be just floating out there on our own. So if we are to look at the scripture passages, and in the New Testament there are probably four main passages that speak to this. Maybe five, depending on how you look at them. Here's the thing. They're all consistent, Ryan. It's not like, um, and they're all plain. They're very clear. The passage you open with from 1 Timothy 2, you may not like it. It may sound so countercultural in today's world, which it did. But there's no doubt about what it says. And when you look at the, the four or five passages that are pertinent to this topic of should women, can women be pastors in local churches? Can they preach sermons? There are no ambiguous passages about this. They're very clear. So that means they're very authoritative. So if I'm going to take the approach that even though there's clarity with all of the pertinent passages, goes all the way back to creation, but I'm going to dismiss that, now I'm wondering, okay, are you questioning the authority and the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture? That's why I say... In some places, I hear this talked about, and I almost think, are you pushing up against a first-tier issue? Hmm. Now, if we're if we're wondering about application of this, and we can get into that probably in the next episode on objections and what does this look like in the local church, but if we're going to talk about, okay, does that mean that a woman can't ever teach mixed company? I think there's room for disagreement there. And that places it in the second tier, maybe even the third tier issue. But if you're talking about, um, I'm questioning whether these passages of Scripture are clear, there is no question. All these passages are clear. And that's the reason, or the connect, I see with people like Matthew Vines. We talked on one of the episodes about Matthew Vines' book, God and the Gay Christian. He is a Reformed pastor. He has a high view of inspiration of Scripture. But he takes all the relevant passages about homosexuality, which consistently teach that it's a sin and an abomination to the Lord, and he reinterprets them. He tries to culturalize them, if I just made up a word. He, he tries to relativize them. And that concerns me because now you've taken the scriptures and you've done these hermeneutical gymnastics, Ryan, where you're not allowing the scriptures to clearly speak. So back to... Is this a first tier, second tier, or third tier issue? I believe it's a second tier. I think some of the application could even fall into third tier that should not divide Christians. But it could be a first tier if you're going to start down the road of, let's just make all of these passages be cultural. Um, that is not proper hermeneutics. We're not saying that the scriptures are sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary with such an approach. Did I just muddy that up? <laughs> no, no, I think that was good. And I actually think that there's a lot of tier two issues that could cross over into tier one and, and potentially some of the elements of the tier two issues could cross over to tier three as well. Um, so no, that's really helpful. And I, I totally agree. I know we have to wrap up this episode and, and we're going to continue this same topic into the next episode. But you said something a little earlier and I want to end with this. One of my favorite statements that you've shared many times with our congregation and with our listeners, and I'm going to do it in your Southern draw, 
the plain things are the main things, and <laughs> the main things are the plain things. You did uh, that well. <laughs> you did that well for a northerner. That was nice. You even had no, no. Our listeners can't see you, but I can. You got wide and bright. I you, did. You, know, you got a smile on your face. <laughs> the lips went out east and west. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's great. All right. Well, why don't we uh, wrap this episode here today and we'll come back next week with another episode on uh, just diving deeper into the female pastor and, and what the Bible says about that. Sounds good. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true and God's word is clear. 